Welcome back, everybody, into Bill's Chat. I am Josh McCarty. With me tonight, as always, is Luca. And Luca, do you taste that sweet, sweet victory that we're experiencing today on this Bill's Victory Monday? Yes. It tastes delicious, Josh. It's a fantastic feeling. Mm -hmm. um, I will start with this in this quick segment here. We talked about on our live show, it's just a week four game. I will maintain that. Mm -hmm. through this it, it feels great to win against the division rival in such a way that the bills did and we will of course go into it at great length but it's still week four the bills have done these kind of big wins early in a season in the past and we have seen what has happened later on in the season this is a good massive win at the quarter mark kind of of the season but overall there is next week. There's an important game against the Jags who had a pretty good win in their own right in London, and they will be remaining in London while we have to travel there. So there's a lot still to do when it comes to the context of the season. But when it comes to victory Mondays, Josh, this one does definitely taste a little bit better than your average other win. All right. So friends listening out there, first of all, thank you. We appreciate the hell out of you for starting your bills Monday with us. There are two conversations that need to happen tonight. One is obviously the victory over Miami. That's where we're going to start. But we are well aware that there needs to be a large Tredavious White conversation. And we will have that later in the show. What we didn't want to do is weave in and out of it or gloss over it. I think there's a large conversation there. And Luca and I have just talked about it. And we're, we're going to get into that as the show goes on later on in the show. Maybe we'll timestamp it for you. But for now, we do want to focus on the good. Luca, I do this every week. I'm trying to hold back a sneeze here. Ooh. What were you thinking when the final gun went off? I don't think they use guns anymore. <laughs> and the Bills walk away 48 to 20 victories over the Miami Dolphins. Holy bleeping bleep. I cannot believe what we just watched. That was essentially what I, I got when the kneel downs were happening. Of course, I will say this stipulation. Every time the Bills are doing kneel downs, especially in the circumstance like it seems to happen when it's a win, because Josh Allen just added yet another over seven point victory to that crazy record that he has in victories, the number that are seven or greater points. Um, but I looked over to my one buddy, just wanted to make sure he actually wanted to watch all the kneel downs. He is that type of individual, Josh, that refuses to let me change the channel until the zeros hit the clock. Yeah. I respect those. Um, but as it was happening and I'm kind of looking at what's going on in Philly with the Washington game and stuff like that, there was this overwhelming feeling of just incredible relief, but not in relief. Like that was a stressful game, just relief and disbelief. Weirdly that rhymes, of course. Um, but sure, it, yeah. it just felt really good the way it was all, it all happened. The, what we watched for 60 minutes is far from anything we expected going to that game. I mean, you and our live show predicted that the bills would unfortunately still lose. I was starting to feel a little bit better compared to our preseason prediction show where I did say they would also lose. And I said that they would win by a field goal. That it would be a tight scoring affair. Um, obviously, it felt that way early. But as the kneel downs were happening, as you asked me here, it was, you know, a 28 point win. And it just was a little bit of disbelief. But uh, it just had me it had my thinking face on on what the future is there, Josh. So I will tell you, I'm with your buddy who didn't want to change a channel and not necessarily because I feel like something's going to go wrong with kneel downs, but I think this particular game last year, there was such a famous shot after the game ended of Tua hugging Josh Allen, this one in Miami where the Dolphins won. 
And I thought, I just thought it was neat to see the teams embrace each other. I'll tell you, Luca, I like Tua. I really do. Uh, he seems like such a likable player. Um, he seems super classy. He gave a shout out to Bill's Mafia. But where my head was at when this game ended, we know about Josh Allen. We know how how he reacts when he's doubted. And we know how he just kind of said, when Jerry Sullivan last year was like, this offense doesn't look good enough to compete for a championship. He's like, okay. Now, granted, Jerry Sullivan ended up being right in that regard, not, not in general. Um, I came away thinking, okay, we know Josh Allen's a dog. Doubt him at your own risk. We know Stefan Diggs is a dog. Doubt him at your own risk. Sean McDermott is a damn dog, Luca. All week long, hearing about oh, 80 points on the, or 70 points on the Broncos. Oh, Sean McDermott made Leslie Frazier the scapegoat. Oh, the Bills' defense is old and slow. No Jordan Poyer, no Von Miller. Um, I'm not going to mention Tredavious White, you know, some of the skepticism on him because of what happened later in the game. And, you know, what's going on at middle linebacker? And Sean McDermott today, Luca, put on an absolute masterclass. He had Mike McDaniel in a bag. He was one step ahead of the Dolphins every step of the way after the initial two drives that I'm sure you're going to get into. I thought as great as Josh Allen played today, and holy cow, did Josh Allen play great, and we will certainly take time to talk about that. I thought today was a Sean McDermott masterclass, and it might have been one of his best days as Buffalo Bills head coach right up there withholding Lamar Jackson to three points in the playoff game. Um, to me, as I, as this game's ending, I'm thinking this this is one of those nights where Tredavious White aside, Sean McDermott's going to sleep like a baby. Uh, yeah. It, you know, as I think it was Romo said during the prod broadcast, the Mick matchup between McDermott and McDaniel, which, by the way, McDonald's is on the phone. They would like to talk to Romo and McDaniels and McDermott. Yeah, Boy, Week 18 could have a lot of, you know, Golden Arches sponsorship on that one. Um, it, it, it was, it's a weird thing to say. And when you allow 20 points, I will, I will give that, you know, it does feel strange to be like, Oh, a defensive masterclass when you gave up 20 points, especially coming a week after you gave away three points in kind of a crappy last second field goal, just to put that goose egg off the scoreboard that the opposition did. But I'm with you. I, I think this week was truly one of those weeks where, we saw the class of McDermott and what he can be as a defensive signal caller and what he is and what he means to this defense and what he can do with this defense was at its absolute best at most majority of the time. And, and what made it fascinating in the matchup between him and McDaniel. And I know you wanted me to bring this up, uh, you know, as we talked about off air, I feel like this is a perfect time to do that is the dolphins clearly have shown us throughout the season so far that they are a rhythm offense and Tua is a rhythm quarterback. It's not a system quarterback situation or anything like that, but when you're able to hit your first read as much as they do and do it at such effectiveness that they do, they of course put up 70 against the Broncos basically by hitting their first read every time because every first read was wide open. But overall, that's how they get things going. What McDermott accomplished was outside of the design plays that clearly McDaniel had drawn up very well. He, he clearly is an, you know, a student of tape. He knows what to attack when he can do. So he puts together a very impressive game plan. Those opening two drives, even with a couple little kind of eyebrow razors that, you know, maybe something could have happened there that stunted a drive. They had successful turnouts. They ended in touchdowns. Beyond that, all of a sudden, McDermott kind of ramped it up a little bit. 
and took Tua, took that offense and threw it so out of rhythm that they then proceeded to have almost no success from there on out. And you have stats in this game right now. Tyreek Hill had one rush for 14 yards. He had, uh, I believe it was three catches. Yeah, or sorry. Yeah, five targets, three catches for 58 yards. Tyreek Hill was essentially a non-factor. One of those catches, his biggest catch, the longest one being 20 yards, was kind of, it wasn't a first read play. It was just two of luckily finding him in the, you know, open intermediate level, trying to pick up the first down, I believe on a third and long to get one of those touchdown drives going. And if I remember correctly, it was such a well thought out defensive plan that yes, McDermott deserves all the praise this week. McDermott McDermott should even be able to shut up the Colin cowards of the world who like to down talk defensive head coaches and whatnot, because what he showed is why he is both the perfect leader of men with this team, but then also by he justified firing Leslie Frazier and stepping up in a big, big opportunity and rising to the occasion to get this defense where it was in a dominating win for the Bills. So, yeah, I mean, all props to McDermott. He deserves all praises, and it was just a fantastic effort. Now, people are going to be in the comments, so I'm going to save you. Leslie Frazier was not fired. Oh, okay, sorry. So, yeah. No, no. Okay, folks. <laughs> I, I know. I, I Now, look, you can believe what you want. Um, I, I'm pretty sure – um, if you don't want to call, if you don't want to classify it as fired, I get it. Uh, Leslie Frazier was let know, let known early in the off season. You're not calling defensive plays next year. If that works for you, cool. You can hang out. If not, there's the door. And, um, so he stepped down and left, left gracefully. So <clears throat> was that a, was that a bad slip on Lucas part? No. Cause I co-signed, I think McDermott made it pretty clear who was going to be running the Sean defense early in the off season. So. I mentioned McDermott had McDaniel in a bat, and I feel like there's been instances now, even dating back to the game in Buffalo last year, the regular season game, where McDaniel, who overall I think calls very good plays, is one of the best play callers in the sport, but McDermott just seems to be in his head to the point where McDaniel does things. It's like he's sitting there thinking, okay, I should do this but he's expecting me to do this. So since he's expecting me to do this, I'm going to do this. And it, it just gets him so out of rhythm. And there were times last year where it just felt like Miami was running the ball at will against the bills. And then they would randomly throw on a third and one. And it would kill a drive. And then there were some examples today, Luca, where it really felt like Mike McDaniel just outsmarted himself, whether it was because he was trying to be too cute or what I think was McDermott just had him so spooked that he was like, he thought McDermott was going to expect one thing, so I have to zag. And two examples I want to give you. Fourth and one, I want to say early in the fourth quarter, and they're running the ball decent well on that drive, and they put two in the shotgun and he gets sacked. And it's like, you're not even going to line up under center and make the Bills respect under handoff. And then the one that really blew my mind, and I'm all about aggressiveness. I'm all about the issue on two-point conversions when you have a good offense. I need somebody to explain to me why Mike McDaniel went for two on that first drive in the second half. What in the world? You're down by 17. Two brings you down by nine. Uh, there, there's no – Tony Romo, hilarious. Tony Romo, I, I know he got knocked last year for being underprepared. Uh, Jim Nance was like, what's going on with the two? And Tony Romo's like, it's fun. 
And he's like, okay, but what about the math? He's like, well, I just checked with the math nerds and I don't really have a reason for you, but they're telling me that it's more fun. There was no reason to do it. And it just felt like McDaniel every step of the way was so spooked by McDermott and his defense that he was just, he was going outside of his comfort zone. And whether that's something that he needs to work on internally or whether that's just Sean McDermott having the upper hand, Luca, I thought there were multiple signs today building off of what we saw last year in the regular season that McDermott's just living in his head right now. Yeah, it, 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 right. I, I think, as you're saying, McDermott's just living in McDaniel's head rent-free. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't mean that in the most disrespectful way possible, but the two-point conversion really is kind of that big one where, so that was happening, and I'll just do a peek behind the curtain moment in our living room here. It was happening, and people, all of us, because like myself and then one of my other buddies, we do kind of really think about, and we have another mutual acquaintance who does think about those kind of advanced analytics a little bit, but then myself and this my other friend, we really like to dive into those things. And even us, we're sitting there scratching our heads like, what is the justification? Nine points does nothing for you. Like, the only thing I can think of is if you pick, it's it's a similar philosophy to going for two halfway through the fourth quarter when you're down 14. If you are trying to win the game, obviously in that scenario that I just said last, you do it. We saw Green Bay do this successfully in week three. But in this case, it doesn't make sense. It's like you still have that field goal on top of it where there's that extra possession on top of it all. And you shouldn't be playing around with that. Just live in the moment that it is and take your extra point, get it to 10 points and try to just live the fight another day. Because then if you get that field goal and you know, it's only seven, that seven psychologically, I feel like does a lot more to a team than eight. Eight is kind of a, even if we let them in the end zone, I, I, we, we can still stop them on a two point conversion. Like there is still that opportunity Mm -hmm. for our defense to do something when it's a seven, it's a lot different. And then all of a sudden, if they go for two, with only down one, there's a big thing going on right there. So I just think that's overthinking it. That's clearly McDaniel trying to, I, I don't, he's not trying anything. I think he's, well, he is trying something. It's just whatever he's trying just doesn't make sense. And he's overthinking and overanalyzing everything. The shotgun moment you bring up as well is definitely a big head scratcher. But I, I think the funniest part about this and just kind of how we can even wrap this point up about the matchup between McDermott and McDaniel is there's going to be probably a takeaway or at least statistical people are going to look at it and go the bills defense allowed 142 yards on the ground. If you take away the eight carries of HN and his 55 yard carry alone by itself, the eight carries for 101 yards, they only had 25, 34, 41 rushing yards rushing. Yeah. 41 yards on the ground, seven carries, nine yards for Moster, one carry, 11 yards for Barrios on a end around one carry for 14 yards, as I mentioned already, Tyreek. And then Tua had two carries for seven yards in his own right. The Bills completely shut them down on the ground. And to your point last year, that was the most successful thing they had against the Bills. They they could not be stopped until they stopped themselves by passing it, doing whatever it is that they did. This turnaround, other than HN springing loose a couple times, the Bills absolutely held their own and then were also able to still limit the plays over top and not allow any explosive plays in the passing game. And realistically, the numbers kind of lie to you on where this game truly was and just kind of confirms what we're talking about here, that McDermott really did have an impressive performance with that defense overall and really shut down a lot of the opportunities that never even really came about 
for the Dolphins offense. And it's just tip of the cap, man. McDermott deserves once more a lot of the praise. And McDaniel just needs to reevaluate on how he manages games and what he does against the Bills because everything he's doing to date so far just does not work in the end. What a game as far as how it started. I mean, this game started off like a Madden game. And it was it was one of those moments, Luca, where they're going back and forth in the first quarter and a half. And I don't know about you. I, I tweeted this out from our account, and I truly felt this way. I said, I don't know if the Bills are going to win this game, but how cool is it to be in this game? This is one of those games where if you're the Falcons and you just got done like barely being able to move the ball against the Jaguars, or if you're the Saints and you have Derek Carr out there just like throwing three-yard passes and you're paying attention to what's going on in Buffalo with Miami where it's like first drive, Bills get the ball, they go, I have it right here, they go eight plays, 60 yards, touchdown pass to Gabe Davis. Cool, Miami takes the field, seven plays, 72 yards, touchdown run for Devon A. Chain. Okay, Buffalo's back with the ball, 10 plays. 80 yards, touchdown run by James Cook. Miami comes back, seven plays, 70 yards, touchdown run by Devon A-Chain. Buffalo gets the ball back, five plays, 41 yards, touchdown pass to Stephon Diggs. The Bills have a penalty on that drive, doesn't matter. Next play, touchdown pass to Diggs. Five drives, five touchdowns, and the rest of the league is watching this thing. Holy cow. I know there's some studs on these defenses. Can you stop these offenses? At that point in time, I tweeted out, Luca, this is feeling like college football overtime, where any drive that either one of these teams has that doesn't end in a touchdown feels like a massive failure. I'm going to hit pause right there on that comment because the sequence that happened after that is mind-blowing, and that's where the McDermott Masterclass comes in. Five drives into this game, three Bills touchdowns, Two Dolphins touchdowns. Bills are kicking off to Miami. How are you feeling about this game? Um, Just buckling up. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was a sit in your seat, buckle up. I was on the edge of my couch seat just watching this. And it was fun. Like, as a football mm-hmm. fan, it was fun. And I love the college reference or uh, just kind of like pulling it to that because even on top of it, Josh, yes, the scoring makes it feel like college. But the emotional level that both teams were experiencing at that moment in time, you had moments like Van Ginkle kind of getting in the face lightly. There's no foul in this, but he did what he did to Allen. And then you saw a little bit of a tussle going on between that Wilkins, Spencer Brown, of course, gets in and involved in it a little bit before walking off. Right. Things like that were happening in this game. And it's like the emotions were so high that even at that level, it did have that college feel. It was personal. There's a clear rivalry between the sidelines. And then on top of it, you do have the successful offenses going back and forth nonstop. And you really just didn't know it, it was it wasn't even kind of that game, Josh, where last team with the ball wins in a traditional sense with an NFL game. This was a quite literally, I have no idea what to expect anymore. Mm-hmm just buckle up and let's enjoy the ride. Like this is craziness. And yeah, you're spot on, by the way. This is incredible to be in this. If if you were to tell 2017 us about mm-hmm. we will be in this situation in six years, enjoying football of this caliber, I mean, I I wouldn't even know where to begin and to ask questions and wonder how the heck we ended up there. 
because I just couldn't believe you. Like I would at that point, I didn't even believe that the bills would ever get a competent quarterback, let alone actually have a dynamic offense to match up against another track like dynamic offense. And you're going to have a shootout right out the gate and just Lord knows where the game is going to go from there. So yeah, it, the start of the game truly is kind of the, the first act, you know what, Josh, I'm going to do it this way. The first act of the game, the, from the beginning to the moment of which you hit the pause button, as you said, that first act was the, as a general football fan, one of the most enjoyable experiences I can remember in a while where it truly had everything in a sense. And it was just how football you feel like is meant to be played like mm-hmm. on both sides from all according, like it wasn't even as if the defenses were playing bad. It was just incredible offenses working so well to matriculously move the ball down the field in their own respective fashions that it was just art in almost a sense. It, it was beautiful to watch and, and it was very, very enjoyable. So yeah, they, I mean the simple descriptionary quite literally was buckle up, sit back and enjoy the ride because those first five drives as you're labeling them that act one of this game, was just an absolute thing of beauty. And we've seen the drought bills have shootouts before, but there was something special about this. This wasn't Ryan Fitzpatrick and Jason Campbell going back and forth in 2011, where it's like, okay, both of these teams feel kind of average, but hey, this game is fun. No, this is legitimately like, this is the game of the week. This is the nationally televised game as far as the major, the major CBS game and the one that ESPN and Fox Sports have been talking about all week. And here we are five drives into it. And holy cow, is it living up to the hype? Both of these offenses look beautiful. But then, Luca, we hit that pause button after that fifth drive. Bills are up 21 to 17. And from that moment on, the rest of the Miami drives go punt, punt, fumble, punt, touchdown to start the third quarter where they randomly go for two that nobody can figure out. Interception, turnover on downs, turnover on downs turnover on downs. Miami had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine more drives after that. One touchdown, three punts, two turnovers, three turnovers on downs. If I had come down into your living room at that point, Luca, and said, take a deep breath, everybody. They're only going to soar one more time. They're going to turn the ball over twice, punt three times, and they're not going to move the ball. They're going to turn the ball over on downs, the other drives. You would have kicked me out of the living room for being a liar, right? Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) There's, there's no way this Miami offense who is finding all the answers, even if maybe they have a hiccup or two along the way is going to all of a sudden stall out in my mind. Like at that point in time, at the end of act one, and we are starting to go into act two, I am not for the life of me seeing punt, punt, fumble, punt happening. That's just not going to be the next four drives. They will hit Tyreek open over the middle who takes it to the house. David, David Achan will, or Achan will run it into the end zone after breaking loose and running right by Micah Hyde, because no disrespect to Micah Hyde. He's not a world beater of a track athlete. Like something will happen here that it will unfortunately nip the bills in the butt. The dolphins will still hang around. Something will happen in that regard. So yeah, it, to me, it's still a little bit crazy that the first act comes, the second act starts, Josh, and as you're mentioning, punt, punt, fumble, punt, touchdown, I'll have the second act end in that two-play 18-second drive that ended in an interception, and at that moment in time, Josh, that was officially at that point. Of course, the interception comes 
and, and the Bills had already kind of laid a couple more touchdowns, a couple more field goals on the board. And that's truly when it was like, oh, we're 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 in the blowout game now. Like we're we're living in this where it's like, no, this is getting really bad for Miami and really good for Bills fans. And then just three kind of it, it, the funny part about the downs drives too. those the third act of this game, five plays, 20 yards, seven plays, 63 yards, seven plays, 64 yards. Miami was doing stuff early and then just stalling out and not able to figure it out. At that point in time, you had Gregory Rousseau coming up big, you know, having a fourth down sack there and then another fourth down sack later on. Like moments were happening like that where it's like, yeah. This is a 60-minute complete team effort and complete domination where the second act and the third act were something that no Bills fan could have even possibly imagined after that first act as we talked about it where touchdowns were just happening left and right. Like, it's like, no. All of a sudden, the rhythm of the Miami offense was thrown off a little bit. McDermott was doing something that they just were not anticipating, were not comfortable handling, whatever it might be. And it was just kind of game set match once you got to the end of the second act. Yes, they got that one touchdown drive to start the second half. But outside of that, where you can really readjust and game plan once again, the Dolphins were just completely ineffective on offense. And unfortunately for them, and very fortunately for us, luckily that shootout didn't happen. The Bills continued on that path and the Dolphins just couldn't figure it out anymore. You know where I thought the game really turned? Because... You had the Bills were up 28 to 14. You had Tredavious White come within an eyelash of getting a pick six. And then the next play was the fumble uh, recovered by the Bills that leads to the Tyler Bass field goal with, I have it right here. Tyler Bass kicks a field goal with a minute 44 left in the, in the first half. And the Bills take a 31 to 14 lead. But this isn't like a 31 to 14 lead over the commanders. Like this Miami Dolphins team can put up points in bunches and you know, they're getting the ball in the second half and a minute 44 is a lifetime with an offense with that kind of speed. So in your mind, you're thinking, Oh my God, just hold them to the field goal. Let let's go into the halftime with a two touchdown lead and sort it out. And the next Miami Dolphins drive, this is where I thought the game kind of got away from them. And this is like the first misstep of Mike McDaniel. For me, that drive comes out. Tua gets sacked for a four-yard loss, and then they, instead of keeping their foot on the pedal, they go into, we don't want to give Buffalo time with the clock. And now, instead of being aggressive, trying to double dip, they go conservative. And the Bills were like, okay, Sean McDermott did not have any interest in burning timeouts there. He was like, thank you very much. We will take our three-possession lead into halftime. We appreciate you. And I thought that was a huge misstep on McDaniel's part, because even that first sack only set up second and 14 and, um, you know, it got to be third and seven. And then they ran a up the middle and look, Luca and I pride ourselves on getting names, right? We spent all draft season calling him Devin a chain because that's what he was called. And now last week he tells us it's H on. So if we mix that up tonight, please know it's not because we don't know who he is or never heard of him. It's because we have this muscle memory of calling him a chain for like five months. But I thought that, to me, Luca, that's where it was kind of like, if I'm a Miami Dolphins fan, I wanted my team to keep their foot on the gas there, and they did the direct opposite. And I thought they handed the Bills a gift of, here, just take your free possession lead into halftime. Yeah, that was questionable. And then even on top of it, you had Tony Romo going, oh, you don't want to leave too much time on the clock. It's like, what are you talking about? Right. You're down 17. I will happily let them kind of take the foot off the gas and just let us see it out or let themselves see it out. It's like, uh, 
that's questionable. That's also, you know, why Tony Romo maybe wasn't finding success in the playoffs. Oh, got him. Ooh, ouch. Uh, <laughs> look, I, I have no disrespect to Tony Romo. I don't, I actually miss his, uh, not to get off too off topic here, but Josh, you know, the Tony Romo kind of spin out of sack, the vintage dip shoulder, nothing like it. It was so much fun mm-hmm. to watch back in the day. Anyways, um, it, it was questionable. And that was kind of the, the, break in the armor that was watching the, the Dolphins try to keep up or watching the Bills try to keep up and this back and forth match where all of a sudden the Dolphins weren't finding success anymore and then all of a sudden they kind of just hid in their shell a little bit and they were just okay with seeing it out as we're talking about and it's like I mean really you are a team that just put up 70 you're a team that can strike fear in anyone because you have track stars left and right Tyreek at this point didn't take the helmet on the knee yet he looked healthy you have a chan who is still a world-class athlete like you have all these guys Jalen Waddle of course still playing it's like what are you doing take some shots do something you're down 17 points yes you get the ball back to start the second half but you still have time on the clock you have timeouts if I recall as well what are you doing by just pulling up and saying, well, they got us on first down, so we're just going to let the clock wind down and then just live with what this is. That's That, to me, is just such poor management and understanding of what the game situation calls for and what McDaniel actually should be doing. And to me, it's really just – I don't – it's now only his second year as a head coach. Beyond this, he was only an offensive assistant – He's probably just never still had many opportunities where he's need to make those tough decisions on how to manage the clock and what to do in a game. And that just kind of showed in that moment in time, unfortunately for them. But yeah, that was a massive point in the game where you just really questioned a lot because conceding a three score lead to your opposition at halftime when you do have the team that you do is an extremely, extremely odd move. Yeah, push the envelope. Like this is you're down by three possessions. You have the best offense in the sport to this point. Um, the worst case scenario, yes, you throw an interception. You leave Josh Allen too much time, and instead of going into halftime down by 17, you're down by 20 because he gets into Tyler Bass field goal range. But the risk is not worth the reward. Speaking of risk not being worth the reward, one last McDaniel blunder. We don't have to really talk about this. I just wanted to mention it. The challenge in the second half, when um, it was whether or not I, I want to say it was Barrios. Um, got out of bounds at the, at the line to gain. I tweeted out from our podcast account. I realize it's fourth and one if they don't get this, but you're down by three possessions in the second half. You have the best offense in the sport. The risk of burning a second half timeout for one yard is not worth the reward. Um, trust your offense to get the first down. Granted, I had no idea that by trust his offense to get the first down when they ultimately lost the challenge and lost the timeout, they'd go in shotgun and uh, get to a sacked. So I, I have some egg on my face there, but I thought that was just complete mismanagement on his part. Luca, we are 30 minutes into this post-game show, and we have yet to mention the guy that I'm, I'm cycling through my head very quickly because there were some really explosive games today, offensively some, for some players, but a lot of them were in the, AF, in the NFC. Uh, we have yet to mention the guy that all but certainly will win another AFC Player of the Week award. Joshua Patrick Allen, 320 yards passing, four passing touchdowns, another rushing touchdown on the ground, five touchdowns in total. Um, He's pretty good. And I will tell you, and maybe we didn't even, maybe we're guilty of this too. All week long, 
How can the Bills slow down the Dolphins' offense? The Dolphins' offense just put up 70 points. They have so much speed. What can the Bills do to slow them down? And I feel like lost in that conversation, and maybe we didn't bring it up enough either. The Bills have the superior defense of these two teams. It's not even particularly close. Um, And it was all about what can the Bills' defense do to slow down Miami? Well, they held them to 20 points. What can Miami do to slow down this Bills' offense that has been great since 2020? And the answer is they can't. And on what was on display today for the Bills, and boy, is this going to be fun to go through. Bills drives, touchdown, 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 punt. Oh, what happened there? That's okay. Touchdown, field goal, halftime, field goal, touchdown, touchdown, punt. Damian Harris runs out the clock. It was <laughs> a Ken Dorsey masterclass. I thought Ken Dorsey drew up some great plays. That touchdown pass to Gabe Davis was carbon copy. If you remember back to 2018, the Minnesota game, Josh Allen to Jason Kroom, the exact same play, pump fake to the flat, wide open Gabe Davis. I thought Ken Dorsey had a great run scheme today. Uh, The Bills ran with authority on the second and third touchdown drives that led to the James Cook go-ahead score. Now, when you look at the final box score, the rushing stats don't look overly impressive, but at the meat of the game, the Bills were running with with, with Will. But look at Josh Allen. Look, I, I know we could... There's so many games we come on here and we just like refuse to talk about Josh Allen because we know he's great and how interesting is that conversation. But on a week when national media were having the conversation of is two of the best quarterback in the AFC East, has Josh Allen fallen out of that top tier? Have the Bills' offense fallen behind the Dolphins' offense? Um, look, Tua is great. I think Tua is great, but Josh Allen is also great, and I think he fed off of that disrespect. And unlike Tua who at moments, and he is not a system quarterback. He is a very good quarterback, but like you mentioned, he's a timing quarterback. When the timing is thrown off, it can throw off his game. Josh Allen is in that special, special 1% like Patrick Mahomes, like Aaron Rodgers in his prime, um, where even when a defensive coordinator draws up a perfect play, Josh Allen can extend the play and then throw a 40-yard pass to James Cook down the sideline. That's what makes Josh Allen different. and. I feel like there is a chance. I don't know how this season's going to end. I feel like there is a chance that we look back on this season and think that that Jets game was the best thing to happen to Josh Allen. It's a crazy thing to say, but I even made a crazy statement in my living room late in the game where I was like, where's all that conversation going to be about Tua being the MVP of the league now? What is going to be happening with that MVP conversation? Because in my eyes right now at this point in time, there have been a couple really good players. I mean, TJ Watt had a say until today. TJ Watt did not show up in Houston. The Pittsburgh Steelers did not show up in Houston. That was a wild sight. But there's players like that. Micah Parsons kind of has fallen off a little bit. I mean, at his standards, Miles Garrett has had a game or two. I'm naming defensive ends, by the way, right now when I'm talking about MVP. Randomly off the top rope today. (laughs) Yeah, Khalil Mack with six sacks. Wild. Um, (laughs) These things are happening right now where I'm talking about those guys in MVP conversation now. Tua has fallen off to me in that mind. And I made a comment where I was like, I think Josh Allen might seriously be back in this MVP conversation. Yeah. And it's insane to think about after watching in front of the nation, him have an unbelievable, maybe his worst career game of all time. 
Like, and it was just abysmal. It's everyone is ripping him. Everyone and their mother had an opinion about Josh Allen and how he's regressing and it's just not working. And Josh Allen misses Brian Dayball and all this other nonsense that's out there. And it's like, look, Josh Allen is still Josh Allen. He is still that dog. He is still that guy. What I will say is this, Josh, it will be an interesting conversation when it comes to AFC player of the week between him and Stefan Diggs, because not too often do you have a receiver oh, get three touchdowns in a single game, including one very impressive one while being covered by one of the top 10. We'll call it corners at this point in time in Kohu, who's been very impressive up until mm-hmm. this game. And he had an extremely poor day at the office. Mm-hmm. That was not a good time for him. I will say this, though, Josh, that was not pass interference. I'm just going to say it. It was hand fighting. There was not a whole lot of grabbing. It's a tough, tough day when even you making a decent play gets flagged and there's just nothing you can do at that point in time. Uh, don't feel bad at all. Like, Kohu who no. deserved to kind of get put in his place a little bit. <laughs> Shots fired. But overall, Josh Allen was that guy. He was a dog. Stefan Diggs came to play. And I love every second of this game, especially when Allen then runs it in and gives the old thinking emoji celebration. And it just makes you know that they are aware of everything around them. They know what's going on everywhere. They're pulling that celebration, which everyone should probably know at this point. From I didn't know until after the game was over. So people probably don't know either. So go ahead and explain the background. Like Miami sent out a tweet yesterday about them traveling to Buffalo. And they're all wearing the these shirts with just a thinking emoji on there. It still hasn't been confirmed or figured out what that exactly is about particularly. But Allen, Diggs, the Bills in general clearly took note of that and took offense to it and thought it was offensive, (laughs) offensive. It's not offensive. Thought it was in thought of them and kind of them questioning or thinking about have the bills lost a step? Are they now the new dog? Whatever you want to say about it. And Alan hitting that pose to celebrate a touchdown, the photo for this thumbnail, the photo you see everywhere. Alan's now back to back weeks, by the way, Josh, where he has an incredible picture. Just awesome. He is in the moment right now. Yeah. But they are aware of everything and they rise to the occasion and they're almost getting to a point where it I don't know if they're going out of their way to figure these things out to motivate them after week one. And they want you to juice them up like a Michael Jordan and the Bulls that we all obviously know about. But boy, is it awesome because a chip on shoulder Allen who can ball out like this and a chip on shoulder digs who can ball out like this and this offense just humming the way it did. It is just incredible to watch when it's on full cylinders to go from week one when nothing is working, you're fighting for everything and Allen's just screwing it up. Unfortunately to now, I cannot believe how quick that turnaround is, but I shouldn't be shocked by that turnaround because Josh Allen just is an absolute beast of a human being, a beast of a quarterback. And I mean, he just, Oh, what a performance, what a day for him in the offense. And yeah, there are props that are deserved to be had with the offensive coordinator and Dorsey. There were a lot of things to like about this offense is going somewhere right now. It looks like where you, I I think criticism can maybe take a half step back now, even things like, why are we running it on second down moments like that, which I know individuals, including yourself, Josh 
get a little upset with. But I think there's almost something in it in a weird way where when you see them doing that, that might be them just recognizing maybe the game or the offense is a little bit out of their control in a way of the feel of the game. And they're just trying to make sure they don't screw things up on second downs. So you have manageable third downs. Moments like that are continuing to build confidence, I think, with Josh Allen, with this offense, so that when they are fully going, those runs on second down don't matter anymore because you can just do whatever the heck you want. And you have a performance like you did today where everything just works in your favor. I think the run on second down is kind of one of those analytical versus coaching points. And I, I tend to side more with analytics. And I know you probably do too, uh, but I, I don't think any, any answer. I don't think there there's a hundred percent, like they call it gut analytics, like old school coaching. Like I trust my gut, not a computer. Um, I don't think either one is a hundred percent foolproof. And here's what I mean. The run on second down, analytics will tell you if it's second and 10, especially if you have a quarterback like Tua or Josh Allen or Mahomes, you're, you have better odds of getting a first down by throwing it twice because pass plays inherently are worth more than running plays, and everybody can wrap their head around that. But what football coaches will tell you, what Tony Romo even said on the broadcast today is the best way to stay good at running the ball is continuing to run the ball. It's like muscle memory. It's an exercise. If if you go 10 plays in a row without running the ball, your team loses that continuity. So you see for years, Mike McCarthy used to drive Packers fans nuts because it would be second and 10. You have Aaron Rodgers back there. You have Brett Favre back there. And he would still hand it off to Amon Green or whoever's back there and get their five yards, set up a third manageable. But they would consistently be one of the better running teams in the sport because they never got too far away from their last running play. The other thing I will tell you that I don't think analytics respects enough is there is a massive, massive difference between third and 10 and third and five. Third and five, you can do your outlet passes. You can scramble with your quarterback. You can check it down to a running back. You can run the ball and you can still get it. Where third and 10, the defense can really pin their ears back. So I tend to not like second and long runs. Quite honestly, I'm like most of you out there. I only like them when they, I only don't like them when they don't work. Like if you pop a draw for eight yards, it's like, Hey, that was a cool play. Um, but you know, in general, I tend to subscribe to, Hey, stop running on second and long. But Luca, I do think this is one of those larger situations where, you know, sometimes we need to get away from our computers and our calculators and understand that maybe the people that have dedicated their life to this coaching, understanding human beings do have a reason for this other than they are just stubborn. Yeah. And that's kind of where I was going with that. It's like sometimes analytics are great. And yes, I do find myself someone I dive into numbers way too much, mm -hmm. although I need to do a little bit more of a sports betting. I'm taking self shots too. come on, yeah. people. Um, it's like, yes, I am obsessed with analytics at a, t at a point and whatnot. But I actually do find myself subscribing to the thought of especially if it's a down day, we'll call it or things just aren't clicking 100 percent for your offense. I don't mind seeing those runs where, yeah, maybe you're only getting two or three yards if you can get it four yards. And like you're saying, it's third and six now, assuming first down, we'll, we'll just say assuming it's an incomplete or it's just second and 10, whatever you want to call it. That second down run just sets you up in such a better predicament where you can still do anything you want to do. You're not limiting the playbook. You're not limiting what you can call as a play caller. And that is an incredible, that's always what you that's always what you want to have throughout an entire game. 
you never want to feel like you got to dive deep into the playbook or you only can call a handful of plays. You need to call your money plays over and over, whatever you want to call it, just because you need to hit chunk yards or make chunk plays happen. It's like you want to get to a point where anything in the playbook should find you success at that moment in time. And I think that's what um, running on second down, even when it doesn't seem necessarily like the perfect thing to do, is still probably the right thing to do. Like I'm saying, when offense isn't clicking at 100%. Days like today, I would probably steer a little bit away from it just because everything is working. So just don't limit yourself to only calling runs on second down. But that said, I'm never going to sit there and complain about it because overall, it's just like, this is what you need to do to be successful. And as you said, there is something in it where you need to continuously run at least a little bit to keep that muscle memory there, to keep it, keep your offensive line and keep the run game confident in itself to then when you do have those kind of third or fourth and shorts that you need to rely on it, it's there for you and can be dependent on in those moments in time. So what I want to do now is I want to have one more conversation about this game, and then I want to do game balls and game checks. And at that point, Luca, I want to have our Tredavious White conversation after game balls and game checks where we can just kind of focus on that and not worry about the context of the game. And then we can go around the league. Um, And this is not in our notes, so it's probably going to catch you off guard. But Ed Oliver, um, I will raise my hand and tell you that I, in the space of Bill's content creators, I have probably been as loud as anyone. Ed Oliver Doubter. I cannot wait to read off the list of names of defensive tackles from his draft class. Quinnen Williams, Christian Wilkins, Jeffrey Simmons, Dexter Lawrence, who have been all pro level players. And he was the ninth overall pick and he has not sniffed that ability. What I will tell you from what we've seen from Ed Oliver now through four games, he is a much improved football player. Now he was always good. That The issue was never Ed Oliver wasn't good. He was never a bust. It was just there was not that impact play every single week this season. We have seen impact plays, and I'm not talking about sacks. I think sacks for defensive tackles tend to be a little overrated. I'm talking about pushing the pocket, walking guards back into the backfield. The first play of the Raiders game jumps out to me where he absolutely just blew up the run on Josh Jacobs. Ed Oliver is playing with a purpose, and I want to draw a comparison to my favorite NBA team, the Denver Nuggets. The Denver Nuggets a few years ago, and they're a smaller market team, and this matters a little bit more in the NBA, they have a player named Michael Porter Jr., and they decided to give him a max contract. If you're familiar with the NBA, um, that's kind of like the most you can pay a player. You can only have a certain amount of max contracts on your team, and they decided to give him a max contract despite the fact that even though he was a high draft pick, he never quite became that max level player. They were still betting on his upside. And when the Bills went out and signed Ed Oliver to a contract extension, albeit much less than what we saw Dexter Lawrence and Quinnen Williams sign for, or Jeffrey Simmons, one of, I, I don't know if Williams is signed yet. I could be I, foggy right now. I know Wilkins is still waiting. Um, it, it felt to me like, okay, the Bills are telling us, similar to what the Nuggets did with Porter, we're happy with where he is, but we believe that there is still a ceiling here that he is capable of hitting. And you have to respect the opinion of the people that have been around him for four years, watching him grow, watching him work, watching him develop. And for me, I that's the one hope I had with this contract is like, okay, the Bills have a real opportunity to be right here and gamble on Ed Oliver becoming that player. And look, it's four games. 
And we've seen players have good Septembers before and then fall off a cliff. But at this point in time, Luca, particularly in a game where one of those players I mentioned before, Christian Wilkins, was on the other side, and unless you check the Dolphins roster, you wouldn't even know he played today. Ed Oliver made his presence felt. I, I want to say he had a couple sacks. That's how little like he had one sack today. He has three sacks on the season. He's living in opponents' backfields. And to this point in time, Ed Oliver is having by far his best season as a pro. And he absolutely, at this rate, is going to be in that Pro Bowl, All-Pro conversation. And it's fantastic to see. Yeah, it's it's fun. You know what makes this fun, Josh, is there's the question on if he deserves that um, contract that we talked about, the extension that he got. Um, I'm just going to say this right now. There was an extremely questionable defensive holding call that kept a Chiefs drive going um, after Mahomes threw an absolute lollipop interception. Uh <laughs> The Taylor Jeez. Swift effect. If you want to oh. know when we're recording, folks, during Sunday Night Football. <laughs> yeah, we are recording during Sunday Night Football. Um, I, I mean, mate. Oh, wow. I mean, he's got him. Uh, anyways, um, Ed Oliver. So what makes this fun is it feels like almost all the time people get their big extensions. They get their payday somewhat justified or not, whatever it might be. It's just you, you want to see this player stay. This is their market value, so on and so forth. And then there's a decline. What makes this fun is there were the question marks and he's rising to the occasion. He's rising himself into that extension of which it almost feels in a weird way that he might be one of those players that rarely justifies the extension that he really couldn't prior to. It's it's a very strange situation where he actually is growing into the extension. And that's awesome. What I will say in my own right on Ed Oliver is he is finally becoming that down-to-down impact player that it just felt like we only could see in flashes. And, and it was just never something you saw enough of. It would only come out on Thanksgiving. It would only come out in preseason. You, there's a, all the little knocks there. And now every game you are having those moments where you're like, there's Ed Oliver, or there's a big sack by Ed Oliver, or he's clearly pushing the pile deep. That's forcing Tua or whoever it is to have to roll out into Leonard Floyd or Gregory Rousseau or whoever else that is on that defensive line for that play. Like he is truly making an impact every play, every game, every week that it's like, yes, this is why you pay that guy on the interior defensive line at the rate that you did. He needs to be able to do that, and he's absolutely doing that in spades. I'm with you 100%. It's like he is justifying everything that he was rewarded with at this point in time. Also, just he was quite literally the reason Rousseau got the one sack on fourth down late mm -hmm. in the game because he just completely blew up the middle to the point where Tua had no other option than to go into the six foot seven wingspan of Gregory Rousseau waiting there for him and taking him down as he tried to get around him. But there is no way you're getting around Gregory Rousseau. So props to Ed Oliver. I, yeah, it's one of those moments, Josh, where I know you're absolutely excited to eat your own words and oh, be yeah. wrong about something because it's only to the benefit of us all. And we all want to see that happen. Ed Oliver's looking good. Greg Rousseau is looking good. Terrell Bernard continues to look really, really good. Christian Benford's playing well. James Cook looks good. Uh, Osiris Torres, hello. He's looking really, really good. Um, this narrative about Brandon Bean not being able to draft, 
is um, is turning around in a big, big way. And uh, maybe the biggest example of that is the quarterback who had five touchdowns today that Brandon Bean traded up for and made the face of the franchise and turned the Bills into a perennial Super Bowl contender. All right, Luca, let's do game balls and game checks. Put a bow on this game before we have our Tredavious White conversation. For those of you that are unfamiliar, game ball, game check is our MVP, LVP conversation. Game ball is pretty obvious. Who gets our game ball? Game check is which player played so poorly they need to hand in their game check for their performance today. Um, and we try not to repeat other answers. So if Luca gives it to player X, I try to go another direction. Luca, who gets your game ball for their uh, um, for their performance against the Dolphins today? That was not my internet giving out. That was my brain giving out. <laughs> so just in case anybody wants to know, that was a me issue. Yeah, my game ball. I, I think, I mean, it's another one of those games just like last week, but just in a different way that you could definitely justify giving it to a few people. But we talked about glowingly with a few individuals in this game. Um, I will say this. I really believe the offensive player of the week this year in the AFC or this year, this week in mm -hmm. the AFC will not be Joshua Patrick Allen and it will be Stefan Diggs. So my game ball is going to go to Stefan Diggs. I give the tip of the cap to him because yes, Josh Allen had an incredible day. But seven targets, six catches, 120 yards, and three touchdowns. That one target that was not a catch is the pass interference itself. Although I did say what I said about that pass interference, it may be questionable. But overall, Stefan Diggs had himself an absolute day. The, the thing that put him over the top to me, Josh, and I just want to highlight it one more time, is the moment of which he had two Dolphins around him, and he proceeds to not quit on the play, he spins out of it, runs up the sideline and scores with his arms spread wide. Stefan Diggs, I feel like, doesn't do that very often. He doesn't break through tackles. He doesn't get out of a jam where there are two individuals on him. And I even made that comment during the game. It's like, that's not Stefan Diggs, 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 Stefan Diggs' game. And he really just kind of elevated himself in this game. There was clearly a motivational factor. He was in the zone. He was him today. And that is what puts him over the line to me. I think Stefan Diggs was unbelievable. And in a game where you clearly would think the reason Kohu's on him the whole time and they're clearly bracketing him the majority of the time, he still found himself to be there for Josh Allen and have a big, big day scoring three times. He absolutely deserves all the praise in the world. And he is getting my game ball. Stefan Diggs, take a bow. There are so many ways we can go with this. I'm not giving it to Josh Allen because one, um, I, I don't want to lose sight of some of the other players that did well. Josh Allen's going to get his roses for this. I am so thrilled he's our quarterback, but I want to go in a different direction. I'm going to call out some other guys I'm not giving it to that absolutely have a case. Greg Rousseau, two sacks today. Two had been sacked one time leading up to this game. Greg Rousseau gets into the ground twice. I am fired up to go back and watch this game and see how well Taylor Rapp played. Uh, because I cannot remember one play today where I felt like Taylor Rapp was out of position. That's TV copy. It's sometimes it's hard to tell. Um, I'm very interested to see how he looked because I will tell you, I was not the biggest Taylor Rapp guy, but um, th they passed the test defensively today. And um, I think that's obviously a good sign. I think there's some guys on the offensive line that had a very good day. Josh Allen was held very, very clean. And I thought Micah Hyde, his interception was fantastic. It's good to see him back. You mentioned Stefan Diggs. Josh Allen was really, really good again today. Um, but my game ball, Luca, head coach Sean McDermott. This was an all-around Sean McDermott game. 
And maybe as the head coach, a piece of that goes to all of those players we mentioned. Another another player I want to mention, Dane Jackson, had to come in off the bench, play for Christian Benford, had to come in off the bench again, play for Tredavious White. Uh, not an easy spot to be in. Definitely not an easy offense to go against. And don't remember him having really any mishaps out there. Um, good depth if you could have it. Uh, Dane Jackson did, did strong today. But Sean McDermott. Um, after the first two drives where Miami goes touchdown, touchdown, he closed the door on everything they wanted to do. They scored six points after the first two drives. It was a defensive masterpiece. He had this team ready to go. He is such a fantastic leader. He is the perfect leader for a team that plays in Buffalo because he knows how to pull on the heartstrings. He knows how to get his team motivated for the right ways, not like the classic bulletin board material, but you can just tell this team has a chip on his shoulder and he has a chip on his shoulder. And the way this team attacked today, um, I thought it was an all around great Sean McDermott game. All right, Luca, it's hard. It is hard (laughs) to find a player that lets you down in a game where the bills won 48 to 20 over the hottest team in the sport. Um, But I guess we have to do it. Who gets your game check? Yeah, I I really, I'll be honest. I am. I have one if you need to. If you need to think about it. No, um, I think I have okay. one. Okay. Um, it feels ex- incredibly harsh. Let me yeah. let me just put it that way. It feels incredibly harsh. But there's one individual that comes to mind, and it's for literally one moment. And it was the only time today I find my I found myself going and questioning what I saw, not in a negative, pissed off way but just kind of wondered why what had happened had happened. And I'm in, and, and I've in the, I'm want to start. This is not me trying to even pile on for what I have said in the preseason going into this season and kind of where I stood on how I wanted to see certain individuals in this team and utilized. But unfortunately my game check is going to Khalil Shakir. Damn it. it took mine. Oh yeah. So yeah, the only reason I'm doing that is because he had one target today. Yeah. And and it's again, it's unfair because he even tried to do everything he possibly could to secure that. The problem I had with it was it almost felt like he was surprised at how fast that ball was coming into him. And then therefore, even though he rotated to try to play, you know, you know, catch it with his hands. He's not trying to, you know, body catch it or anything. He's trying to go up and attack the ball, but it gets to a point where he's like, Oh crap, this is getting to me right now. And he just tries to pin it to the back of his shoulder. It doesn't work out. He doesn't secure that ball. And it's like, you shouldn't be surprised by the velocity of the ball is coming into you. You should be trying to catch that with your hands. You, if you already got to the point where you're rotating your body in the air, this is the NFL. I feel like you should be able to handle that. And unfortunately for him, he just didn't. And it was just kind of one of those ones where if he caught that ball, Josh, I would have been so hyped for him and everything like that. And it just felt like he was genuinely surprised at the speed it was coming in. So again, insanely harsh to be doing this, but because there really aren't any good candidates, Khalil Shakir gets my game check. So we try not to repeat, but I'm going to use him too, just because I, otherwise I'd be forcing it. And I do have another example of why he kind of annoyed me today. There was a kickoff when, when during that hot streak of five drives where it was touchdown, 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 a kickoff into the end zone where he brought it out and he is not an explosive kickoff returner. And he got tackled, I think at the 18 or 19 yard line, cost the bills seven yards of field position. But most importantly, anytime you give the referees an opportunity to throw a flag on a kickoff return, chances are they're going to. 
And that could have set the Bills up, you know, if a half the, half the distance to the goal penalty, it didn't. Uh, they could have started at the 10. It was unnecessary. In a game like this, just take the touchback, take the 25 yards, let Josh Allen go out there a favorable field position and don't put this team back up. I think the, the catch that he didn't make, it was a tough catch, but it's one of those like, he's going to have to make a play like that along the way to really move up this pecking order because right now there's a lot of mouths to feed and he seems to be at the back of the line. Uh, that could have gone a long way for him. And then, um, you know, making a poor decision on a kick return. It is what it is. You know, we're, we're grasping at straws here. But Luca, let's uh, let's move on now to the topic at hand, which is Tredavious White. And I will tell you, I've watched sports my entire life. I've seen numerous teams I love lose heartbreaking games. I've been a Bills fan, so many of you can picture some of the games that I have had a broken heart over. Um, the sequence of events where Tredavious White gets hurt and then starts losing his mind on the field because he realized what just happened, and then watching Micah Hyde take a knee and try to embrace him, and watching everybody in the Bills uniform understand what was going on for a player that two years ago tore his ACL. Um, uh, it was one of the hardest things I've ever watched as a sports fan. Um, you know, it, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't rate up there with like Damar Hamlin or Kevin Everett because you were like fearful for these people's lives. So let's, we'll keep it in perspective. Okay. Um, but as far as like the context of what it was, uh, the emotions on his face, the, the realization that he probably was going through about where his career was going, it almost brought tears to my eyes. I, I hated to see it. Um, this has been a player that was the first player drafted by the Sean McDermott era. He's been a consummate pro. He's been an absolute breath of fresh air as a player to root for everything you want in a player. That's like a foundation piece on your team. And it sure felt like um, maybe today was it for him. And it, it was, a, it was a tough, tough scene, Luca. Yeah. It, um, it was when it was happening and everything like that. And they were like non-contact and it's starting to pile on where you're just like, well, show us the video. And they were definitely delayed in showing the replay afterwards because it wasn't involved in the play of which it happened. And it really sucks. Honestly, when it happened, Trey wasn't really, I, I mean, he's in his coverage spot and everything's like that, but it, it really, it's almost like one of those moments where it's like, it sucks that somehow that was a, wasn't avoided because there was nothing he need. There's nothing he could have done. There's nothing you can do in those situations. And, and the, as you see the video, he comes up limping as then they showed right after that, he spikes the helmet backwards. He's visibly upset. He's audibly upset. You can hear it. You can see it. You see the team coming around everything that's going on. There was this in my living room. There were people that are like, well, they're only reporting an ankle and stuff like that. And I just, I didn't want to be that person, but I was like, mm -hmm. they reported the same thing for Aaron Rodgers, another person. Well, he got back up and I was like, Aaron Rodgers got back up and he sat right back down. Like there's just those moments when you know, like a person will know when something massively wrong happens to them. Like today, another injury, Matt Judon, he all of a sudden immediately grabbed his arm and was like, what the heck just happened? And they're fearing that it's a complete tear of his bicep. Like when something of that severity happens, a popped, a, a ruptured Achilles, a torn bicep, like something, a piece that is being held with high tension snaps, you know, and, and for Trey, it's obviously piled on with what he dealt with, with the knee injury and where he's at in his career. And, and we had talked in earlier episodes where it's like, 
it clearly is visible that he's taking angles that he might not be able to run down anymore and things of that nature where age and injuries are stacking up against him at this point in time. It does bring that thought of, is this it? Like, and I, I was like, so I brought, <laughs> I was really a Debbie Downer. I'll be honest in the living room. And I, mm-hmm. I didn't mean to be that person, but it was almost my way of kind of, I want to, it, it's how my head works. I'm just seeing the whole picture all at that moment in time. And I was like, well, the bills are most certainly opting out of his contract. And someone's like, well, that's probably what he's thinking about. I'm like, no, he's thinking about the massive injury he just sustained. Yeah. He's not thinking about that, but that just becomes the reality of it. And now you really question if he's going to be able to do anything else moving forward into it to happen to someone like Trey white, someone who is so likable, both inside that dressing room outside with the fan base and even around the league. Like you could hear it with, of course, Nance and Romo. You can hear it when you even hear your Florio's talking about it and stuff where there is a genuine pain felt when talking about it, because this is not just an injury of a player. This is a massive injury of a player who's already coming off of a massive injury who really felt like it was kind of on the downturn, unfortunately, already. This becomes no longer just what can he do to get back on the field next year? It's is he going to be back on the field? It's now welcoming that conversation that's so unfortunate and it's painful. It's absolutely painful. The moment of him picking up the play call sheet that blew in the wind on the field and him part of the Trey White goalie academy and all those moments and all those things that build up an individual such as himself to see it quite literally pop away on the field at that moment in time when the team is buzzing in a massive game and he's kind of the first building block of what this team is. He's one of those first guys that McDermott, of course, brought in. And it's just, it's him and Milano. And now all of a sudden, Trey's gone. And and, and that secondary is going to be different. And yes, this is kind of why you have the corner depth that you have. But it's like, you can't replace Trey White, the human. You can't replace Trey White, the individual. And and to see what happened, it's just, it it breaks your heart. It, it, It just crushes you as a fan of football, as a fan of the Bills, and it's just like seeing someone's career, 2021, he is playing at an all-pro level in an absolute staple of the defense, pops his ACL, ruptures his Achilles, and we're talking about his career career being over not even two years from that moment in time. That is just so painful to talk about and see and deal with that we wish him all of course all the best and hopefully everything's okay but that is just it's unfair like it, there's no other way to say it it's just flat out unfair yeah and i and tyreek hill obviously didn't do anything wrong on that play they just got no, caught up with no, each no. other and yeah, yeah. you know it's one of those moments that'll just be burned in my brain um the cameras the dolphins just gotten knocked off the field they're showing to a kind of upset on the sideline the camera pans back to Trey White, who you'd heard the announcer say he's down, but you're not you just it's an injury. Like you're thinking, okay, well, we'll see what this is about. And as the camera pans back, you see him just pull his arms down and scream up to the heavens, no, no. And then Trent Sherfield and Deontay Hardy and Taron Johnson walk over really, really fast. And at that moment, you just you realize what it means. And it was the audible no to me that's burned into my brain because you've heard Tredavious White talk about um, how hard it was for him 
to battle back from that first injury because it's just a it's a process and it's a process you have to attack like he's going to have to attack this tomorrow it's not he's a guy that like every other member of this buffalo bills team was preparing to take on the miami dolphins in the game of the week preparing to go to london to take on the jacksonville jaguars preparing to finish out this season that they all hope ends in a super bowl and now in one snap moment in time he now has to go figure out one is his career over and two can he battle back from it and that has to start Tomorrow with rehab, well, he has the MRI on Monday. I'm saying tomorrow, it's Sunday. That's going to confirm whether it's an Achilles tear or not. And then it's okay. Now you have to start rehabbing it and you have to start back at square one to get yourself back to a point where by next summer, we can see if you still have the athletic ability at your age and after the injury to still compete at the NFL level. It's grossly unfair. Like you said, uh, injuries happen to everybody in the sport. You hate to see it happen to anybody, particularly someone like Tredavious White. And um, it's it's a moment that um, I'll never forget. And um, I, I wish um, I wish him the best. It's uh, It's one of the tougher things I've ever seen take place in a sporting event, but we do need to talk about what the bills will do in this situation. Like, you know, I mean, there, there's still, if you want to, whatever you want to do out there, if you think that there's a chance that this MRI tomorrow come back in his favor, great. Like until it's confirmed, it's, it's not confirmed. Uh, I think it's safe to say that they're going to be without Tredavious white for at least a little bit. And uh, the bills, Luca are, are pretty well insulated at cornerback. They have a guy in Dane Jackson who came off the bench today multiple times. Um, and he's a guy with a lot of starting experience. He's that he's like a perfect depth corner where he can come in and, you know, he knows the system. He's going to do his job. He's not going to be extraordinary. And the bills still do have Kyer Elam waiting in the wings. He was a healthy scratch again today. Um, he certainly will not be going forward. It seems like his, his number is going to be called. I would assume for now it's going to be Benford and Dane Jackson with Kyer Elam being the next man up. Uh, but you know, this has nothing to do with Tredavious white. Uh, cornerback was one position that if the Bills were going to suffer an injury like this, they at least have some interesting names in the holster, and maybe there is a path from team success that means that this won't be a catastrophe. Yeah. Yeah, right. The the hard truth of this is the business of the sport. You have to now move on, as you're saying, when it comes to both Trey White and figure out his future, but then the Bills, McDermott and Bean and everyone involved have to now figure out the future of the team that is this season and figure out what they have to do to put themselves or continue to put themselves in positions to win. Um, it, it becomes a lot more interesting. As you're saying, Kyer Elam most likely sees himself, sees himself active and you feel you know, you're not feeling good about it when it comes to realizing why you're in the situation anymore, but you feel okay with it because it seems like we've put ourselves in the position at that position to be able to sustain a massive injury like that to anyone within the secondary at the cornerback position. Like you have the resources that it's not trying to sign guys off the street, whether they're too old and they found their way on the way out, or they've just never been able to crack a roster, or you have to sign someone off the practice squad and just hope that they can elevate their game as they've been elevated to the roster. You have yourself in a situation where you should be able to move on accordingly. And hopefully now at this point in time, as you mentioned, I would see it being Benford and Dane Jackson as your boundary corners. 
uh, out the gate. And then you're just hoping with being active and got, finding some game time again, maybe Kyer Elam can step up to the occasion at this point in time, whenever he's called upon, whatever it may be, so that hopefully the defense doesn't miss without a beat. They can continue to do what they've been doing and be a very dominant defense in this league and just get the job done week in, week out, even without kind of that leader in Trey White being the voice of the secondary among the many voices in the secondary that are that leadership group between him, Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, of course, whenever he comes back and so on and so forth. So it will be an interesting thing to see how they handle this overall, but I think we all are pretty safe to assume what we'll see in the immediate future being just Kyrie Elam elevated to the active day roster and then just them moving full forward, full forward with what they have at their disposal at this point in time. The Bills do have two cornerbacks on their practice squad, Kyron Brown and Jamarcus Ingram. Ingram popped a couple times in preseason. He had a couple days in uh, training camp. I would not anticipate any of either one of those guys getting elevated to this point. I think one, the Bills view Saran Neal as a guy that could get them out of a game at boundary cornerback. You still are talking about somebody who would be inactive on game day because the Bills historically do only dress three boundary corners. And now at this point, that'll just be Kyer Elam. They will have to make room at some point for Von Miller to make his way back to the roster. And that's where I assume Tredavious White, that's where that roster spot would go to. Uh, Kingsley Jonathan, I know, is more of like a one-for-one with Von Miller position-wise, but I I think he's popped enough now that the Bills probably don't want to risk losing him to waivers. Um, So, you know, it'll be interesting to see. A lot of times in the NFL, unfortunately, the sad reality is these things kind of work themselves out. There, There may be another injury along the way that makes the roster decision easy for the Bills. Um, there's been some chatter out there, not from anybody connected to the team, but some of the medical experts on Twitter that uh, maybe the situation going on with Jordan Boyer could require. Uh, this is this is speculation, folks. This this is not sourcing. The su- situation with Jordan Boyer could require some like cleanup surgery midseason to give him the best shot to be his best version of himself come November, December, and then that could put him on short term IR. So there's there's a lot of things for this Bills team to sort out. We'll see what happens with Boyer. Uh, but obviously the, the larger point here, Luca, is we are both obviously like all of Bill's mafia and all of the NFL wishing Tredavious White um, all the best. And, you know, he is one of those unique players. Um, you know, th- there's there's Ryan Fitzpatrick was this way where even if you're not a fan of the team, I, I would say two is probably this way. Quite honestly, even if you're not a fan of the team, it's hard to find somebody who dislikes him. And it's always like, OK, you're not on my team, but I like that guy. I feel that way about Tua. Like, I, I want to dislike Tua. I really do. But th- th- what what can you dislike about this guy? Like, I will think of- I, Salty Tua, sassy Tua that's come out to play this year, Josh, has made yeah. him a lot more likable. Yeah. I, I, I that um, another guy that I'm surprised you didn't bring up Nick Chubb with his injury earlier. Oh, this yeah. Year. That's, great that's another massive one that it would just be so hard to find anyone that doesn't like him. It, it's it's weird that we're finding ourselves in a season where you have a Trey White, a Nick Chubb, so on, and so forth, where these massive injuries are happening to these individuals. Nick Chubb somehow, I, I think, if I remember correctly, avoided massive knee injury. And I think it's only just a torn MCL and then oh, maybe wow. a strained ACL. Like it was crazy. Like you thought basically his entire knee exploded. And next thing you know, I think they came out and it was just one of his CLs had uh, torn, which good on him, man. He's got some strong knees and legs, but um, overall, yeah, I, I definitely think Trey White is in that conversation with and, and I, I especially with the sassiness. I, I love when when you have a player that is self-aware of things and then on top of it is willing to kind of snip back at media 
not in a angry or aggressive way, but kind of, you know, uh, what's the, what, what's the term I'm looking for in a salty, sassy, or, um, kind of just where, where they're petty, where, where they're very petty and they'll bring up whatever it is that they need to, to kind of highlight whatever the conversation is and just show you that, yeah, I'm aware of what you all say about me and it is what it is or whatever it might be. So I think Tua's getting into that category. I'll, I'll agree with you there. Yeah, I really, I really like Tua. It's, it's hard. To, <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard. It's, it's, it's a love hate thing. I, I don't, you know, it's, it's tough. But um, okay. Uh, all right. I want to kick it around the league with you, but I do have one final topic that just came to my brain, and let's, let's play a game. Um, if we were going to, from the Bills' perspective, rank teams in the AFC who scare us the most, as in, I told you, okay, Luca, I'm coming down right now, and I'm telling you who the Bills are going to be matched up with in the first or second round of the playoffs. Which team would fear? Would you fear the most? I will tell you right off the bat, coming into today, my answer was the Chiefs. Before this game ever played out, my answer was the Chiefs. Mahomes and Reed, just scary, scary, scary stuff in January. Plus, they have two rings, so there's a level of looseness that goes into that, that they don't have the pressure of the world to finally get over the hump. So the Chiefs would be my one, um, and coming into today, Miami would be my two. Where are you at right now? Who in the AFC would be the number one fear factor for you for the Bills? Chiefs. I mean, and, until you knock the king off the stoop, it's it's always the king. And the, mm-hmm. the king is the Chiefs. You have to respect it. You have to respect that. It's it's the old saying of you never bet against Belichick and Brady. You don't bet against Reed and Mahomes. You always stick with them. They are what they are until you finally have not even just flashes of decline, but a long track record of it. Like what we're seeing now with Belichick is like, okay, maybe we can bet against Belichick because he oh let Dallas gosh. beat the crap out of him. Um, that was the, his worst defeat of in his career. Uh, so that was an interesting one. Um, I will say Miami is still number two to me. They Same. can just get, they, they can just get you absolutely anywhere. Um, you speed kills. It, it's, mm-hmm. it's how it works in gaming. It's how it works in real life speed kills. And if they re- continue to remain healthy, if all of those players are still there come the playoffs, if we're talking about that, or even week 18, if that game matters, I am terrified of them um, when it comes to that game or playing against them. What I will say is this after the dolphins, for instance, you would probably have the Bengals there or team yeah. people would even say the Bengals. Boy, am I uh, not scared of the Bengals anymore. I think I there's something seriously wrong with Burrow. Yeah. I, and I, I don't mean that when it comes to, like, just he's declining in skill. I, I think there's a health concern that's really there, and it's just messing with him psychologically as well. He's not able to trust what he's doing. You even saw it in the win that they finally got against the Rams on Monday night, and then it just kind of came back to bite him here against Tennessee in Tennessee where it's just like there is something clearly off. They just lost T. Higgins now to a rib injury. We'll see what happens with that. T, though, also didn't really look like himself this season. And Jamar Chase, I'm not going to say he's asking for a trade or anything, but he's growingly frustrated right now with everything that's happening around him. And there's something with the Bengals that I think they've kind of dropped down a little bit. And I think the Ravens are stepping up because – I brought this. I, I think the Ravens are my number three right now. And I, I will say Cleveland, although they looked bad, they did have the excuse of DTR and at quarterback. Yeah, that, that changes everything. That, that, that changes, changes everything. Clearly. I thought DTR could run all over the place. <laughs> no, 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 that was foolish. Um, 
Cleveland's still up there to me. I, I think their defense is very, very impressive. What had happened today was to me more fluky than anything else, but kind of opposite of that. The Ravens aren't running on all cylinders. They're, they're not going, they have injuries, although the Ravens are one of those always injury riddled teams, but they're, they're not a hundred percent there. And yet they're still churning out wins. They're still getting results. They, I mean, yes, they lost to the Colts, but they lost to the Colts in overtime. They easily could have won that game if Justin Tucker just does what he normally always does and kicks a 61 yard field goal through the uprights. Like they are that close to four and oh. And if they can get things going, Josh, that pretty much elevates them to number three. Like they can, they still have room to grow. And that is terrifying as they also keep winning games along the way. So right now, I think I have a Chiefs as a clear and concise number one. Dolphins, to me, are the number two. The wild card in the team that I think propelled themselves to number three is the Ravens because they're not clicking 100%, and yet they're still getting confidence and wins. And then they still have that guy Harbaugh as their coach and never mm-hmm. disrespect a great coach because Harbaugh has been there, done it. He's won it all, of course, with a guy like Joe Flacco who just decided to have four incredibly otherworldly games at in a stretch and it's you know that's just all it takes sometimes so yeah the ravens are number three to me and jim and lamar jackson is an absolute wild card like yeah. he, he's unlike any other quarterback in the conference maybe anthony richardson i would not Ooh, expect him to be in the him. playoffs oh my gosh i am <laughs> i am crushing so hard on richardson and stroud right now and it's not just because i want to be right about why i don't think oh, the I panthers do. should have taken bryce young uh but holy cow richardson and stroud are I'm mad they're in the AFC, but man, they're fun to root for. A couple things quickly, just piggyback on what you said. I don't have a problem with what Jamar Chase said, but holy cow, if you swap the Bengals for the Bills today and the Bills lose like the Bengals did and Stefan Diggs has a, has a press conference like Jamar Chase did, national story. National story. Jamar Chase, probably not even going to be mentioned. Um, just it's food for thought. Bengals get right, they'll be scary, but... I will tell you, I'm also going to take the L on the Chargers. I am done with the Chargers, Luca. <laughs> yeah. I will tell you, I, I took me so long to get over this hump. And you always just tell me, Josh, the char- you don't have to beat the Chargers. Just sit Let's- back and relax. <laughs> they will beat themselves. Just watch All it happen. Right. Luca, you're younger than me. You've seen the movie White Men Can't Jump, right? Yes, yes. Okay, Woody, Har- Woody Harrelson's character, self-destructive human being. So I don't want to play spoiler alert. The movie came out in the nineties, but the theme of it is every time he gets one step ahead, he takes two steps back because he makes bad decisions at the very end of the movie. Again, spoiler alert. I'm sorry, folks. It's been 30 years. Go see the movie. He finally gets his girlfriend back after he convinces her, Hey, I'm done being a degenerate with our money in gambling. I'll finally get a real job and be the guy you want us to be. And we just won this big tournament together. We got the money we need. We can get everything we want to out of life. And on the way to go celebrate with her, he makes one final bet and lo- loses all the money. And that's where the whole like white men can't jump because he can't dunk. That's the Chargers. They have such a, an amazing ability to take a game that they should be winning by three touchdowns and have you look up and say, wait, how are the Raiders sitting here on the five-yard line with a chance to tie? How are the Vikings sitting here with a chance to tie? What is happening here? Every single Chargers game comes down to the end, and by the middle of it, you're thinking, oh, the Chargers are going to win by 30. I I can't with this team, Luca. There's a scary factor about what they can be at their ceiling, 
but like they don't even play at their ceiling for a full game. It's always up and down, up and down, up and down. We saw how great they could be the first half in Jacksonville last year in the playoffs and they blew it. So kudos to you. Chargers got a charger and I'm with you on that. Yeah, it's it's funny. It's yeah, I love what you said in the middle of that. There was because that exact moment happened. I looked, I snapped my head right over to a buddy in the living room. It, it was addressed to everyone, really. But I looked up and it's like the chart. Khalil Max doing his thing, sack after sack. Justin Herbert's doing great. And, and like eventually they started slowing down a little bit. And Aiden O'Connell looks like he does not belong in the league nothing's working for the Raiders and all of a sudden it registered with me. I looked up and I'm like, how is this game only two scores? How is this a 14 point game right now? Like this feels like a 30 point, like at that point in time, my main screen was that game. Luckily that was the one we were like, ah, we'll just leave it on the main screen. Josh, like we were just like, ah, we'll just watch. That'll be the main one. Turns out that was the best game of the four o'clock slate by far. Mm -hmm. But the one below is Patriots Cowboys and and I'm watching that game and it's like nothing impressive is happening in that game but you have the Cowboys just blowing the doors off the Patriots more because Mac Jones clearly is just dog water oh he my absolutely gosh. has no idea what he's doing and we can officially crown him an absolute nonsense bust and it's incredible then what you consider Josh McDaniel was able to do with that offense and rookie year match Jones to get them to that wild card game, which then inevitably Josh Allen pitched a perfect shutout. Um, but overall, it's like that Chargers team and that Chargers game was the antithesis of everything about it, because even in a game where it feels like they are, in fact, blowing the doors off the opposition, as you said, there is a chance for the Raiders to tie this game with two and a half minutes left. It's like, what? How are we here right now? This makes no sense. If you eliminated a scoreboard, Josh, and you got to halftime, mm-hmm. and then you took a poll and go, what do you think the score of this game is? To the person who doesn't understand the scoring structure, but just understands competitive sports, if that's possible. Like say you did it to the average fan overseas. You'd be like, what do you think the score of this game is right now? At this point in time, they'd be probably like, "Uh, I don't know. Chargers are up five scores, like right. something of that nature. It's like, no, 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 this is actually just a three score game. And then all of a sudden the Raiders make it a two score game and you still feel like they're getting blown out. It's, it is quite literally incredible. And now you, it was to the point, Josh, where with Herbert having the splint on his finger and, and whatnot, and they're like, they could fumble this kneel down snap right now. And mm-hmm. no one would be surprised because that's what the Chargers do. It's the I've literally we have seen the I have won a fancy matchup, so it's etched in my brain. The Chargers have fumbled a kneel down snap to lose a game before it happened on Monday night in Kansas City. I want to say back in 2013. Anyways, that's happened. So the Chargers just do this thing where no matter how good they are, no matter the situation, they will lose. There's a reason I triple bet them when they were up 20 something points on the Jags in the playoff game. There's a reason that you just continuously bet against this team. It's because they will never let you down if you do so. And they will always prove you right. And boy, do I love being proved right. So yeah, just until the chargers fire Staley and also change their team name from the chargers. They will never ever, ever reach the climax of success. It just will not come. 
this has kind of been our spinning it around the league. We've touched on a lot of games yeah. here. And I want to go back to one thing about Miami being two, because that was the whole point of this conversation was despite the fact that the bills won 48 to 20, we both still very much respect the dolphins and think that they're going to be in this for the long haul. I think what happened today is something that we mentioned on the Friday show is very much within the realm of possibilities. You have two great offenses which means on any given day, one of those two teams can blow out the other. And that's what happened today. I think if the Bills and Dolphins played tomorrow, one, they'd both be pretty tired. If they played next week, um, I, I think I could still see it being a flip of a coin game. Maybe the Bills are favored by five or six because of recency bias, but I wouldn't be stunned if Miami won. I think these teams are a little more even. And I mentioned the Nuggets earlier to kind of keep with the NBA reference. Uh, the Dolphins are like a team like the Miami Heat that can just get super hot at three pointers. And that's the ultimate equalizer. It doesn't matter what kind of inside game you have. It doesn't matter what kind of defense you play. They can, they can hit the three pointer and that's worth more than two pointers. And, and maybe in a lot of ways, Luca, maybe in, in hockey, it's like having a goalie. That's just really, really hot. It can be the ultimate equalizer yep. when one team is better than the other. And the dolphins don't have to take a backseat to anybody talent wise. They, they have some studs on their defense. They'll get Jalen Phillips back. They'll get Jalen Ramsey back. They're going to be a tough out. For everybody, including the Bills, but today was certainly, certainly a fun day. We spend it around the league a little bit, spun it around the league. That was really clunky <laughs> on my part. What else stands out? Uh, I, I know Denver got their first win. I guess it was a comeback against Chicago. I did not watch a minute of that game. It, it never even approached one of my screens. For whatever reason, I was captivated on my smaller screen by um, Carolina and Minnesota. I had a lot of fantasy interest in that game for whatever reason, and it all worked out for me. Um, just what, what's, what stands out to you about what happened around the league? I know the Sunday night game went final, so we can even include that. Uh, so where, where's your brain at? Um, I'm not going to be that guy, but I'm going to kind of be that guy. Boy, did the officials bail out the chiefs. I, I think in the end, uh, um, I do think the chiefs win that game. I don't know if, even though Zach Wilson appeared to kind of, I mean, I loved seeing what we saw at the end of this game. Although we, I mean, I, and then anyone else, unfortunately, Josh did not get to see it at the end when the Chiefs were doing their kneel downs. Patrick Mahomes was able to scramble, pick up the first down, not score a touchdown to end the game because they had kneel downs at that point in time. Um, there was Ellen Lazard and Randall Cobb huddled around a uh, squatted down Zach Wilson. And Zach Wilson was clearly upset. Like, I don't think he was tears crying, but he's upset. You can see that he's just disappointed that they lost that game. And, and I don't know if he feels it's massively his fault. He shouldn't. I will say that Zach Wilson did nothing wrong in this game that made it feel that way. If anything, for a large chunk of it, he was outperforming the King himself, Patrick Mahomes and props to him, but his teammates were comforting him. And it kind of goes against the narrative that you saw the media putting out there and even not to the, I mean, to kind of the fault of the Jets of last year where they were walking around with Mike White shirts on. It's like this team clearly doesn't necessarily despise uh, Zach Wilson like it seems we've been told. There's something there that I feel like if you're worried about Zach Wilson's confidence, if you're a Jets fan or anything of that nature, and again, I'm not saying he's going to be a world beater all of a sudden. I am still maybe holding on to that deep, deep lingering thing that I'm like, I did like him coming out into the draft. Right, I did too. Yeah. But there's something that happened tonight. I feel like that even if you're a Jets fan who feels like all hope is lost, you saw something tonight where I think Zach Wilson is no longer the Zach Wilson of old. 
and hopefully something happened here that can be built upon that the team can kind of rise up. Salah can be a great coach and rise up and get something more out of him that maybe can propel you into future years of something rather than nothing on this investment that you feel so negative on because he made some throws today, Josh, that were incredible. And it was like this, if you can just be this and not make all of those boneheaded plays you do outside of this, you can be something. And it's like, you just need to be that. And um, I will say on top of it all, like I said, or when I started this point, um, that hold on sauce Gardner, Defensive holding to give a first down after um, a hold, actually offensive hold backed up the Chiefs when Mahomes ran for the first down that first time. That defensive hold on Sauce Gardner that then Salah lost his mind on was awful. Absolutely abysmal. It is a reactionary call to movement by the wide receiver as Sauce Gardner is essentially just holding his arms out to keep it's a thing you just do to, you know, you're, you're physically making sure he's within reach of you. You're not grabbing him. You're not doing anything of the sorts. You're just kind of draping your arms out there to just justify to your brain and yourself that you are within reach, that you can still make a play. And because you see MVS, who is the receiver on the play jerk an emotion that he did, the referee goes and throws a defensive holding flag on that. And that is just Bush League. That is horrible. This might have been one of the top worst sporting officiating weeks I can remember in some time, Josh. Because in multiple sports, not that I will get into the other one, because there was to a critical level error that happened in another sport. (laughs) Again, don't want to get into it. But it was some awful, childish, stupid officiating that we've seen around the league that it's just, I genuinely feel bad for Jets right now. Because they should have probably... Because, by the way, if that defensive holding is not called, Mahomes threw another lollipop interception. Although, I think he does that because he just sees a, what he perceives the to flag. be a hold. Yeah. Right, he sees a flag, so he's just drawing attention to it. So, I'm not thinking he'll do that. He might throw it away in this situation because there really wasn't anything there. And, overall, I think it would have been a long field goal attempt at best. Maybe they have to punt it straight back. I cannot remember exactly the field situation, but it's still a one score game and the Jets should have an opportunity at that point in time. And I just feel so bad that something like that happens, that it completely rips the game away from you when you finally have something of hope after weeks of just misery and nothing. And that's just wrong. As a football fan, that is just wrong. What I will also say, like real quick, just this week in general, when it comes to football, um, this is the one that reminds you that the NFL, anyone can win at any time and no one knows anything. And also I just want to tip the cap of myself real quick, Josh. Puka okay. is a dude. Oh, he's a guy. Yeah. That and guy. I love that. I just randomly splashed him. And I was like, I do like his size speed combo as a day three guy. He could be something at a BYU. And he always popped out of nowhere, especially he popped out of, by the way, the only reason I actually know him, Josh, He went, I think, for 200 and something yards against ASU when they played at BYU. And I was like, wow, this guy's six foot four or whatever it is. And he can run that fast. Like, this is crazy. He's really good. What a day. Congrats to him for getting his first career touchdown as a walk-off touchdown. That was an awesome game to watch. That was an awesome thing to see. But, uh, yeah, tip to the cap to myself for uh, just 
isolating that one. You know, I, I like to pump my tires once in a while. How big of you to, to, to give yourself a tip of the cap on a week? We went over three and Lucas locks. Whoa. But yeah, the, Ram, the Rams went out and found another Cooper cup, Cooper cup, which is just infuriating, yeah. but yeah, good for him. He is always open. Um, that was one game that popped to me. I thought Anthony Richardson really struggled early on and really, and brought them back. Yep. Um, you mentioned Zach Wilson. I'll just say real quick. I mean, there's a humanistic aspect to this too, where, the whole world that analyzes these jets is thinking, Holy cow. If they just had a competent quarterback, if they had Kirk cousins or Ryan Tannehill, this team could compete for a championship and Zach Wilson's holding them back. He hears that he knows that. And I didn't get to see the game tonight. I took one for the team because internet's shaky. I wasn't going to have the stream up while I'm doing this, but he played as well. As you said, you could just see where that would weigh on him trying to get the game to the finish line. But Maybe, like you said, maybe that's something to get get the Jets believing in him. There was conversation this week of Tim Boyle and Trevor Simeon can't be worse than this. Maybe, if nothing else, that will quiet that down for this week. Uh, the Jets would be a little higher in my fear factor than I think a lot, a lot of people want to admit right now because their defense does seem to have the Bills number and can get Josh Allen making a lot of mistakes. Let's talk about what else took place in the league today. The one that jumps off the page to me is Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, I think, is just objectively bad. I, I really do. I, I think there was a lot of hype around them because they had a strong preseason. Some of that was built off of a blowout win over the Bills in preseason. Um, people were believing that Kenny Pickett was about ready to take a leap. I have not seen anything from Kenny Pickett in a regular season game that makes me think he can be anything other than a, a very mid-level starting, lower-level starting, high-end backup-level quarterback. And uh, the Steelers got ambushed in Houston today by CJ Stroud and the Houston Texans. Luca, I know this was a game that was on your Lucas locks. I'm not bringing this up to, to twist the knife, but I think with the Steelers there, there's such a muscle memory for us to be like, okay, Mike Tomlin, like this is the kind of game he wins. He's going to get nine or 10 wins every year. So you start adding them up. Well, of course they're going to beat the Texans and Holy cow. Did they not only lose, but they got embarrassed uh, tough conversations happening on Pittsburgh sports radio tomorrow. Oh yeah. Um, I'm with you. Uh, the, the Steelers, <laughs> it's funny. So we just talked about the jets a little bit and now we're talking about the Steelers and I feel like they're both in extremely similar situations, but are trending in different directions, but not in the directions that you would think they would be trending. Does that statement make sense to you, Josh? Yep. Because mm -hmm. The Jets have something where it's like there is still a promise of hope somewhere deep in misery, of course. But all of a sudden, I think Zach Wilson just provided you an uptick here. And the defense is incredible, and it's young. The reverse now is happening in Pittsburgh. Kenny Pickett's young, yes. George Pickens is quite literally one of the biggest wasted talents in the NFL right now. They just don't know what to do with him. And I'm starting to buy into this conspiracy theory that I think Rich Eisen pitched, but he said it kind of tongue in cheek and just randomly where it's like, maybe they're just purposely not using them. So they don't have to pay him 30 plus million dollars when the contract time comes like, because what other explanation is there for what we're seeing? And then it's just a waste of an elite defense where eventually they fold. Although I will say this, I do, even in my mind, I go, oh, TJ Watt, um, can't think of the primary opposite edge, but then there's Marcus Golden, even as kind of their third man rotated in, which is a great third man rotation for an edge uh, rusher. Um, you have a, 
a nice interior defensive line as well for them in their three, four scheme. And, and like the front seven as a unit is pretty sound and solid. I think their secondary is a bit overrated. Yeah. Um, you have Patrick Peterson there, but he's kind of on the very back end. Um, Mika Fitzpatrick is a very good player. I just think he does somehow disappear at times randomly that it just doesn't make sense. Uh, Levi Wallace is Levi Wallace. I don't think he's any yeah. better or worse. He just is what he is. And that's just what they have to lean on. And it, it can be had if you have a guy like who should have been the first overall pick due to his talent and skill set in CJ Stroud, who can dice you up because he can also move around. Look, I, I don't understand how Bryce Young becomes the first overall pick. I'm going to die on that. Whether whatever happens from this point on, you draft the guy with talent and skill. You do not draft the guy who just blows you away with his brain, even though he is undersized and overwhelmed physically at the sport that you're trying to draft him in. It just doesn't make sense to me. But overall, Kenny Pickett, Josh? is making a case where the number one quarterback to come out of the 2022 NFL draft class is the one and only Sam Howell. And he's the only one that's start worthy potentially because you have Kenny Pickett, Malik Willis, Desmond Ritter, Matt Coral. Oh, you're you're, you're forgetting Zappi. a big one. Oh, I, I, no, I was going to wait to the end because I'm sorry. Skylar Thompson and Brock Purdy. And I, okay. look, all respect to Brock Purdy. I think Sam Howell is just a better quarterback himself. If you mm -hmm. put Sam Howell in San Fran, I think you'd actually see better results at the quarterback position. Again, all due respect to Brock Purdy. You have to do the job you're put in, and he does it at a very good level. But Sam Howell is becoming what, in my opinion, is the best quarterback in that draft. It is looking like one of the worst quarterback draft classes that I can recall in a long time. I will also say this. I think it's, what is it? The 2019 NFL uh, quarterback draft class is turning into one of the best. I think it's 2019. I'm trying to recall. 2019 um, would be Daniel Jones, Dwayne Haskins, Drew Locke. No, so I think you, maybe no. you're thinking 2020. Yeah, 2020. 2020 is turning into one of the best quarterback draft classes of all time. Okay. I was thinking about it the other day where I'm like, there's no misses. There's, there's no misses right now. Burrow, Herbert, Tua. Yeah, yeah, that's the yeah, one. Yeah, okay. yeah. And then even as you go deeper into that draft, like, it's just like Hurts. there are, yeah, like there's just no misses. Like mm -hmm. that, what we thought 2018 quarterback draft class, 2020 became that draft class. Like, it's like, holy crap, there are a lot of good quarterbacks that came out of that. So, but overall, yeah, Pittsburgh is a disaster. Pittsburgh is unbelievable. The most overrated two and two team in the NFL. Um, I will not trust in them anymore. Um, I still don't trust Denver more than them, but regardless, uh, that, that game in itself, by the way, Josh, shout out to that game, living up to the billion and a half bears going up 28, seven and still finding a way to lose to Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos. What a game, like absolute blockbuster. If it wasn't for bills, dolphins being at one o'clock, Josh, that would have been main screen material by halftime. It's like, what am I watching right now? Great. If the Bills Dolphins was the epitome, like I said earlier in our, our show, of being what football can be at its best, Bears Broncos lived up to exactly what it was. What football is at at its absolute worst. It was incredible. Justin Fields for three quarters looked like a legitimate NFL starting quarterback. And then it fell apart. And it was like, oh no, it's Justin Fields. Okay. You know. You mentioned well, you mentioned a lot there. I will tell you yeah, the bright the bright. No, no, you're good. This is what this segment's about. The Bryce Young thing. 
because I don't want to pile on Bryce Young. I think he was a fine prospect, but the the year you take someone like Bryce Young would be a year, like you said, where the options are Kenny Pickett or just a very raw Malik Willis. Or the, the year you mentioned where, okay, Kyler Murray goes first. Maybe Kyler Murray is kind of like Bryce Young in that regard, where you take a gamble on the guy that's the undersized outlier kyler murray has skills to him that bryce young cannot sniff by the way <laughs> yeah but still like that's a year where you're like okay haskins is a little shaky you know we don't know what we have in daniel jones drew locks a little shaky so we're going to go with the undersized guy in kyler murray there were two quarterbacks in this draft cj stroud was checking every box for what you want physically production wise anthony richardson much like josh allen created in a lab physically and it's just like, do you, do you have the patience to hone those skills? There was no need to take a risk on the physical outlier that was so small that we've never seen somebody be successful at that size in the sport. And that's what I think Carolina's going to have to live with. I'd love to see Bryce Young do well. I don't root against these guys. He's in the NFC. I have no reason to root against him, but that's going to be one that stings for a while. Okay, Luca, final question for you before we get out of here. Do you think that eight a little more than eight and a half seasons is enough time to gauge whether a head coach is good or not. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm glad you said that. I agree with you. What if I told you there was eight and a half seasons worth of data of what <laughs> Bill Belichick is without Tom Brady Yep. and boy, oh boy, 63 and 75. Now look, I bit the cheese when the Patriots were just running the sport for two decades. And I thought Bill Belichick was playing chess when everybody else was playing checkers, but Holy cow. I, I think it, it's time. I mean, I, I say it's time. This isn't like a novel thought on my part. This conversation has been had. Has Bill Belichick been extremely overrated this entire time or has he lost his fastball? I think the answer is door number three. I think two things can be true. I think it requires a certain kind of coach to coach a really good team and a certain kind of coach to coach a, a bad team. And who, who's a good example of that? I think, uh, who, who do I use here? Uh, not Dick Geron. Absolutely not Dick Geron. Um, <laughs> I was going to say Rex Ryan. No, uh, I'm trying to think of like a coach in the history of the sport that if you have, if you give them six and 10 talent, maybe Mike Tomlin is this. Now he's won championships. That's unfair. You give him six and 10 talent. He's going to maximize things. He's going to keep the games close. He's going to win nine or 10 games. I think Bill Belichick was the perfect coach for a team that had superstars like Tom Brady because he had enough cachet where he could almost outrank Brady in those meetings. He could still call call Brady to the front of the room and say, why'd you throw this interception? Yada, yada, yada. And he was not afraid to take risks. Go for, go for fourth downs in Indianapolis in a situation where fourth downs weren't really a thing in the sport at that point in time. And they lost the game to the Colts. And it was like, no, I got Tom Brady. I, I can live with that decision. I think Bill Belichick was a great coach for that team. I don't know that he's the historical best coach we've ever seen in the sport, though, just because he has five Super Bowl rings. Because we have now a very large eight and a half years worth of sample size that tells us when he doesn't have the best quarterback we've ever seen play the sport, he's a below 500 coach. Unlike Russell Wilson, who has ruined his Hall of Fame uh, status, shot fired, probably the last one at Russell Wilson uh, yeah. today. 
Um, Bill Belichick can't ruin that. He is a Hall of Fame coach, first ballot. It's just going to happen. You, when you have a resume such as that, you you it, it's almost like you have to. Like you just yes. With that said, I know exactly what you're saying in this. It's like the argument of was it Brady or Belichick had ended already, and now it's being emphatically like said it was Brady, it was not Belichick. And I don't mean that because Belichick wasn't important. Belichick has a track record, at least. And as you're saying with a head coach, eight and a half years now or eight plus years, it's like, yeah, it's not impressive. But then in that same regard, it's like Belichick is exceptional for all of these years as a defensive mind, because what he continues to get out of a defense with limited talent and kind of just always understanding what he needs to isolate to try to do what he can on that side of the ball is still there and it goes back to before he was a head coach and it's still continuing to this day for the most part there's only so much you can do in a game like today against the cowboys when your offense quite literally cannot move the ball like your quarterback cannot throw the ball so mm-hmm. eventually you're going to fold your defense is out there too long matt judon potentially tears his bicep it's game over at that point you just can't live anymore on that but I do think he's lost his fastball. I do think he's lost that ability to truly overwhelm a locker room. I think the business and the money side of football on top of just individuals no longer respecting what he preaches or what he does. There's no longer that like that high regard to excellence that he can hold over you anymore because there's too many years of recent memory to go with that old track record that I'm sure, you know, agents or any historian will bring up two players you can't do that anymore and and Brady being gone is it I there was a conversation it's funny that we're having this conversation because it was kind of something like that randomly brought up in my living room where an individual is like how do you see it ending with Belichick so that already tells me one just it's in the mind of the people and two it is a conversation to be had how do you think it would end I will say this Josh and I'll even let you answer this it's like I confidently I don't want to say confidently at this point in time I can absolutely see the most likely outcome being that he just steps away from the game he steps down after this season with what we're seeing right now um a mutual acquaintance we have said basically the same thing but after 2024 when he tries one more go of it and then um my other friend who brought up the question uh said that he could see where it's a mutual of parting of ways when he couldn't put a timeline on it, but it will happen. Like there will be just the mutual parting. I think it's going to be Robert Kraft will, is just that kind of guy who will just let it be at Bill Belichick's discretion. But overall I can absolutely, I don't think Belichick likes to lose. I don't think he likes to be unsuccessful and the way that this season's going, unfortunately for him, I, I can absolutely see it where you could probably even hear, I can even see a press conference happening like after when there's like two weeks left and he just essentially finally throws out that hint like it might be over in only a Belichickian way. And then after the season, he announces in that after that final game and that final press conference, he finally gives the media a little bit of meat to chew on where he announces that he's going to be stepping down as head coach of the Patriots. And, and that just feels right to me, to be quite yeah. honest. And, and it's just, 
he's lost it. Like it, it, it just comes, it, it just comes with time. Like the game just moves beyond you. It, the game stops from no one. Like everyone was throwing mud at Jerry Jones for his con or no, sorry, Jim Ursay, which he said a very kind of brash and probably shouldn't have said what he said when it came to the Jonathan Taylor situation. But the message actually in there was accurate and it's the game stops for no one. The game will always move on. No one is bigger than the shield. No one is bigger than the NFL. And that even applies to a great coach like Belichick or any player that plays in that game. Yeah, I um, I think it's one of those things where it'll be tough to fire because he's just like, he, the day he moves on, there's going to be a statue outside Foxborough. But it still is the Boston market. You know, they expect championships in that city. And they certainly are competing for them on the football side of things right now. And when you're looking around for who to blame for why the team's in shambles right now, it, they, it all comes back to Belichick. Who, who runs the draft? Belichick. Who picked Mac Jones to be the franchise quarterback? Belichick. Who drafted Isaiah Wynn, Sony Michelle, when, when better players were on the board? It was Belichick. Why, why was the cupboard bare when, when Tom Brady left? He runs the show. So wh why did Matt Patricia, who had never called an offensive play in his life, get handed the keys to an offensive team last year? that Belichick. Um, so I, I think I, I could absolutely see a situation where end of year, they're like, Hey, we have to move on. We need to save face here. We don't want to fire you. Can you please just step aside? Maybe we'll promote you to like a, a presidential role or really, you're just more of like a figurehead. I want to say Don Shula was that way with the dolphins late in his life. Um, maybe Dan Marino even has been at, cer at certain points. Um, you know, Belichick can still sit in the press box, but I think it's time for a change. Uh, they, they, unlike other teams where like the Panthers, we just talked about, like, you can see the direction they believe in Bryce young. They believe like they have a good young roster on defense. Like what are the Patriots building blocks? It appears maybe they hit gold in this draft with Christian Gonzalez, another pat on the back to us on draft night, losing our minds as he kept falling. Uh, but in general, they don't draft particularly well. And uh, there's just, I mean, we first guessed the hell out of you're going to let Jacoby Myers go and you're going to sign Juju Smith-Schuster to the same contract. Have you watched these players play at all in their career? Juju Smith-Schuster puts up okay numbers when you give him a Hall of Fame quarterback. Otherwise, he just is invisible. And let me say something else. He puts up okay numbers when you give him a Hall of Fame quarterback and a Hall of Fame running mate at pest catcher to take all the attention away. When Antonio Brown was out there at the peak of his career or <laughs> Travis Kelsey was out there and Patrick Mahomes and Ben Roethlisberger in his primer throwing the ball. Yeah. Juju can clean up underneath and get you about eight, 900, maybe even a thousand yards and look really good. Uh, but when he needs to be the guy, not going to happen. Uh, Mike Gusecki, that, that was an idea that I thought could work out, not working out. So yeah, it's a mess. But anyway, Luca a team that's not a mess is our Buffalo bills. They improved the three and one today with a win over the Miami Dolphins. Next on the docket for these Bills is a trip to London, England, where they will be taking on the Jacksonville Jaguars, who were victorious on Sunday over the Atlanta Falcons. The Jaguars will be staying in London. It would be really weird if they came back to the U.S. and then went back <laughs> to London. I, I don't think they're going to be doing that. I'm interested to see, like, the Bills. I haven't seen anything about the Bills' strategy for when they're going to go out there, if they're going to practice in London this week. I kind of hope they do. Uh, but in general, we'll see. That'll be interesting. London games are always kind of a wild card, so, sort of like Thursday night football. I think it'll be a tough game. Looking forward to diving into that. Um, note coming up on Bill's chat live this week. 
I will not be there with Luca. We will have a show. We think it's going to be Stoke still working on that with Luca. I'm taking my daughter to see WWE SmackDown. She's super excited about that. I'm excited to see her reaction. Um, and then we'll be here. We don't, our normal weekly stuff. My internet's getting fixed on Friday. So hopefully if you're watching on the video and you're seeing it's being choppy, which I assume it is, that should be fixed. I'll be back in this seat for halftime and post game with Luca next week. Luca, any final thoughts before we get out of here? No, I, I we're almost pushing it two hours. We haven't had an episode like this in a while, although yeah. it was very fun and everything like that. A lot of good conversation and whatnot. A lot of things to talk about. I'm excited to, you know, get to it get to talking about London, talking about London as I prepare to also go to London myself in a couple of weeks. So uh, fun times there, just missing those bills. What a shame. Um, but no, uh, it's fun. It's fun that we were able to come out of here with a win. It was fun to have this conversation like we did. And hopefully since the Jags had a nice win in themselves, they'll be nice and soft as these bills go over there, motivated even more so and take care of business against the Jags team who has somewhat of a decent record over there and feels like it's a second home. Jags by quite a bit, and I hope that shows up next week. We shall see. All right, Luca, for Luca, I am Josh McCarty. We will see you next time on Bill's Jack. Mm-hmm.